welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the Word of God, and we pray that now that Word might speak to me, through me, and to all of us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Chris, Bora, get yourself over here where I can look at you eye to eye, man. (laughs) Trying to hide over there behind the candle. Are you kidding? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You know, this is one of those nights when I really wish we had uh, mind and seat enough to hear about three sermons. (laughs) What glorious passages. That beautiful passage of Isaiah, which we read at each ordination of God ascended and sitting on the throne and reigning high and calling out who will go. Then you swing over to that Ephesians passage where Jesus is on the throne, ascended, and fills all in all, and from the fullness of Jesus pours out upon his church the gifts and graces and offices necessary for the building up of the church. That'll preach, buddy. But we're going to focus on the psalm and on the gospel. But before we do that, Chris and Jody, hey guys, it's a joy to be with you and your family and your friends and fellow ministers. I want you to just look around and see your people who've driven a long way and they love you. They're here to celebrate with you. I want to share with you something uh, just by way of principle that the Lord has given me as a basic spiritual practice in the last few years. If it's useful to you, and I hope it is, Chris. Uh, it can be something that deeply shapes your life and ministry, and that is simply this, that you would grab onto a particular psalm that becomes a regular prayer to start every day. Uh, the Lord has called me to that, and for the last five, six years, it's been more powerful than I can ever imagine to specifically for me, praying Psalm 90, verses 12 through 17, virtually every day. It breaks down to about seven different petitions that have formed my entire understanding of what it means to enter into life active life on every day with God. I don't mind sharing the same psalm with you. You can steal mine if you want to, but I'm going to suggest a different psalm, which is the one that was read tonight from Psalm 119. When I read that psalm carefully and prayerfully this week, it really did jump off the page. I, and I can't think of a more appropriate, I mean, I think there are other as appropriate, but I can't think of any more appropriate psalm than this for someone who's entering into pastoral ministry as a daily prayer. If I wasn't so deeply grounded in Psalm 90, I might fight you for Psalm 119, but nevertheless, anyway. I'm going to read it in the uh, translation that I'll be preaching from, the uh, English Standard Version. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. 
Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts, and in your righteousness give me life. If you have a Bible, please turn to Psalm 119. The first couple of comments I make are sort of forest before the trees comments, okay? Let's look at the big picture. First of all, the first big picture I want to put before you as you consider this psalm as a template or a prayer for ministry is simply this, that this psalm is a prayer. Full stop. When you consider a life of ministry, what is life a life of ministry? What, if, what is ministry itself, if not an act and a process and a walk of prayer? The psalmist is praying for a, a life of constant communion and conversation with God. Teach me. Give me understanding. Lead me. Incline my heart. Confirm your promise. These are present tense prayers to be prayed at any moment of our lives. So there's this idea that he's praying around a prayer that's built around an image of seeking the Lord and walking with the Lord at every turn and listening to him at every step. Literally doing life as an act of prayer, which then leads me to think about doing ministry as an act of prayer, ministry as prayer. Now, we can think about ministry and prayer, and we can think about how prayer can serve our ministry. We can intercede. We can offer supplications. We can offer healing prayers. All of those are incredible acts of ministry. But what about prayer as something deeper, a life? I mean, what about ministry something deeper as a life of prayer or prayers ministry? The thing that gravitated in my mind was just thinking about, before we, you know, we're still in the forest here, okay? What is the ground of a life of prayer? What's the heart of a life of prayer? And words that popped into my mind just off the top of my head is that it bespeaks of a person who is dependent, humble, receptive, and grateful. Now let me shift. What is a minister except a person who is dependent, humble, receptive, and grateful? How is it that you will accomplish the work of ministry? What is dependent upon your energy and skill? How do your gifts play into it? You're, giving, you're going to be giving, given new gifts tonight. You've been giving gifts already. And of course, diligence is necessary. It's essential. But deeper than that, what is the means and the basis of accomplishing the kind of work that you are called to do in gospel ministry, which is the literal impartation of new life to people who are dead? Can you do that? Can you be an instrument of that? Yes. The assurance of forgiveness and the declaration that your sins are forgiven and you're reconciled to God and the declaration of peace. Can you make peace between God and man? Can you be an instrument of peace? The work of transformation. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it is the work of the Holy Spirit as we gaze at Jesus. It is a metamorphosis. Can you do that? The older I get, the more the prayers that I pray as I enter into the task of ministry become the actual ministry I'm doing. Humility. Humility is not a technique, it's the truth. <laughs> right? <laughs> Basically, humility is the attitude of one who stands constantly under the judgment of God. 
It's the attitude of one who is like the soil. Humility comes from the Latin word humus, fertile ground. The fertile ground is there, unnoticed, taken for granted, always there to be trodden upon. Welcome to the ministry. (laughs) It is silent, inconspicuous, dark, and yet it always is ready to receive any seed, ready to give it substance and life. The more lowly, the more fruitful, because it becomes really fertile. Catch this one, Chris. It becomes really fertile when it accepts all the refuse of the earth. It is so low that nothing can soil it, nothing can abase it, nothing can humiliate it. It has accepted the last place and cannot go any lower. In that position, nothing can shatter the soul's serenity, its peace and joy. Humility. A life of prayer is a life of humility, a life of dependence. It's a life of receptivity. Core to the question of our humanity, the very understanding of what it means to be a person, a man or a woman, is do we receive life or do we get life? Do we take it, achieve it, accomplish it? Look at Adam when God created Eve. He says it's not good. He's alone. So what happens next? He puts him to sleep, gets him out of the way, fashions the answer to his incompleteness, brings it to Eve. And what does Adam say? I mean, brings it to Adam. And what does he say? About time. I've been lonely, right? No, he doesn't. He says, thank you, God. I, could, I couldn't imagine anything like this. Receptivity, gratitude. One of my spiritual directors in the course of, my, of, of learning about my life, kind of when we were starting it, instructed me as he began to get to know me, I want to give you a word for the year. <laughs> and he meant it. Every time we talked, it was the same word. What's the word? Receive. Receive. Dependence, humility, receptivity, gratitude. This is a life of prayer. This is the ground of prayer. That's the forest. That's, you know, we, as you enter this, this psalm, it says that walking in ministry is walking in prayer. And so the heart of a man of prayer is dependent and humble and receptive and grateful. Another forest statement. What is the focus of this prayer? It is God and his what? His word. The work of God's word is the heart of the prayer that the man prays. And the work of God's word in his, in his heart before it becomes the work of God to his people. So again, forest statements about this. This is about a life of prayer in which the prayer, the prayer, the psalmist, seeks God to do the work of his word in the heart of the psalmist. And that's really life. And that's really ministry, my brother. I, in some ways, that's my, I, I could end the sermon here. But I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Because I want to look at some trees here, okay? So I'm going to look at this psalm in couplets and just, and just catch a couple of things here. 
the first two verses, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end, and give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. And together, the psalmist is teaching us to pray for the reformation of our souls, this constant reformation, so that we see the deeper truths underlying the specific will of God. You and I talked about this one-on-one today. Like, we know certain things that God wants us to do, but what the psalmist is saying is, I want to know underneath what you want me to do, why and how you want me to be this way. I want to understand it. I'm not asking you to prove it to me like I need to your proof, like I'm holding you accountable. I'm just saying I want you to pierce through the action into my heart, into my understanding. I want you to be my teacher. I want you to open up your word so that I see the way, not just the what. Give me understanding so that my heart cries out to obey because it it connects with who I am. Help me to see, willing, eager, thankful to be living according to your will. You and I talked about this today. We talked about the fact that you can start with any particular virtue and as you do it on the surface of your actions, you've only just begun. Because then you have to let it begin to sink into your soul. And the, the next prayer in Second Peter, or the next call, is to your virtue, add knowledge. So understand the virtue. And to your knowledge, add self-control. And In other words, take it to a different level of control. But then to that, add perseverance. And then you have just reached the level where you're getting your surface together. Because then it says, and to your self-control, add Godliness. Open up my eyes to see how this command is in keeping with your character, God. And then to your godliness, add brotherly kindness, which is the humility and the camaraderie. And to your brotherly kindness, add love. Because at the end of the day, here's the big secret. Every call to virtue and action in the entire word of God, listen to me, every call to action in the entire word of God is ultimately a call to love. It's a call to love. The will of God is the surface, underneath are the ways and the meanings and the depths. And you can never get to those depths except by the path of obedience, but that's not enough. And so what the psalmist prays is, teach me your ways, not just your will. Give me understanding so that I can do what you want me to do from the heart. Next two verses. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it and incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Lord, I need your presence and your help and your promptings as I walk the path of life. I need you to train my feet, O shepherd of my soul, shepherd my life. But as I walk with you, increase and expand my heart, my delight my desire, reform my desires towards you. So in the first two verses, he's saying, get my, get, help, get, help me understand this. Help me to think properly and think deeply and think all the way to the bottom. But at the end of this, I also need you to change my heart so that I love this. I love this life. 
Chris, I know you. you. You want to walk with God. You do walk with God. You want to serve him. You do serve him. You love the Lord. It's already his. Your heart's already his. But just don't ever stop that. And as you walk into ministry, in any day of ministry, take time with a prayer like this at the beginning of the day to remind yourself of the necessity of being reformed so that your desires are ever more toward God and his will. And in that recourse, I just encourage you, what I think the psalmist is doing is, I'm, I think he's saying, I want you to walk with me and talk with me every step of the way so that I'm inclined to listen to you. You know, we've all had those promptings of the Spirit and the voice of the shepherd that we've, we've ignored in the moment, right? We're too busy. We've got too much to do. And so the psalmist says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. And I think it's really interesting because, and maybe you're different, or maybe you guys in, you know, all these funny clothes are different than I am, but I know this for it. I can turn ministry into selfish gain in a heartbeat. My ministry to-do list can become my achievements for the day. So that at the end of the day, I feel pretty good about myself because I checked off 12 or 14 of the things on the to-do list. And I got, you know, I even made my priorities right. And man, I did a, I did a good job today. And frankly, I can turn the most beautiful things into the most selfish gain. And what the psalmist says is, I'd rather turn this into a testimony about you. May my life and my responses give testimony to you. See, I can be so determined to finish my ministry to-do list that I forget to actually do ministry. I've been... um, having the pleasure of an in-home physical therapist after my knee replacement about four weeks ago. Her name was Marilyn. She just was a peach. of I mean, she was great. Ben met her. She was one wonderful lady. She was an aunt. Uh, she'd raised her nephew and her nieces and all this kind of stuff, and she just was telling me stories along the way. But, but she was an official physical therapist from University of North Carolina. Well, if you guys know anything about the University of North Carolina, you know that the people who work for the University of North Carolina cannot begin to admit to anybody that they have faith. That would be forbidden. You know, no, no way. I mean, I had a doctor one time who said to me, well, you're going to have to make this decision. And after you've prayed, I mean, I mean, after you've thought about it and decided, <laughs> you know, he almost said the word prayer, <laughs> but he pulled himself back because he, you know, he just can't, you know, he can't. So Marilyn and, I, you know, we chatted a lot. I mean, spent three or four hours a week with her, laughed a lot, talked a lot, joked a lot. We had a lot of fun. Sally got to know her and everything. Wednesday was her last day, and I'm, I'm thinking the Lord is saying, ask her if you can pray for her. And I said, Marilyn, um, do you mind if we pray together? Can I pray for you? And she, um, oh, please. And she came over on the couch. I sat in the chair and grabbed my hands, and she said, pray for me. And I prayed for her, and I began to pray for her in light of what I'd seen in her through it. And by the time I was finished, she was, tears were streaming down her eyes. She was, she's such an incredible woman. And I was just praying that out, declaring that. And she then turned to me and she said, the last time I've heard somebody talk to, about me that way was when my father wrote me a 14 page letter. And she said, it reset the course of my life. Thank you so much. Praise God. 
Because so many times God has said, ask to pray with them, and I've been too busy. Give me a heart, Lord. Give me a heart that delights to do your will. Give me a heart that is so eager to find this beauty of the life that you give instead of grabbing the life that I cannot get for myself. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. I can turn my eyes from worthless things, but I need God to turn my eyes all the rest of the way because I need God to turn the eyes of my heart. I can't expect him to turn me away if I won't myself turn away, but then as I turn away, he really has to work to get it all the way around (laughs) because otherwise I keep lot-wifing it. I keep lot-wifing it. (laughs) Chris, I may be more recalcitrant to you. I've been in active pastoral ministry on some clear level of leadership since 1970. I still have to make decisions on a daily basis to do the will of God and to believe that his will is life. To believe that the promises that underlie everything in the Christian faith and the Christian life and the Christian ministry are true. Most often that battle is not played out in cosmic philosophical terms or apologetic debates within my soul. Most often it's just as simple as this. Well, I do what he says. Well, I turn away from worthless things. Well, I pray when he prompts me to pray, whether than power through to get my agenda done. Well, I accept his interruptions. Let's get even more practical. When I go through the seasons, I go through seasons when I play words with friends. I'm as competitive as anybody who was ever raised in East Texas. Okay? All right? I can get to the place. Okay, I'm true. Confession is good for the soul. I can get to the place where I wake up in the middle of the night and imagine the next play with my middle son, Stephen, who just beats the heck out of me almost every time we play. Makes me furious. Okay? I wake up in the morning, and I have a decision to make. Bible or iPhone? Bible or words with friends? I'm dead serious. Oh, I can just get in a couple games. I'm just kind of still waking up. And it's gotten pretty serious with me sometimes. God says, are you going to do what I tell you to do? Give me a heart, Lord. Help me to see that what you promise is really true. Finally, turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. We are touching, I think, in a new area, and that is the fears of our souls. It's not the fear of what others do to us, but the fears of what we will do to ourselves. The fear of our own defaulting and turning away. And your mercy, good Lord, deliver me. The secret fears of reproach are buried deep within each of us who are in the ministry. We know what we don't want to admit aloud to anybody. We know our struggles, our doubts, our unbelief, our besetting sins, our temptations, our weaknesses, our failures of courage. We work hopefully and prayerfully in the power of God to follow God faithfully. But in the end, just like in the beginning, listen to me, in the end, but just like in the beginning, do we not need the Lord to give us a life that we do not have within ourselves? I never have outgrown the need for life. 
I love the way that Paul begins to whine toward the end of life, right? It's full of joy, full of gratitude, maybe even a little triumphant, I don't know, but mainly satisfaction. I fought the fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. I mean, just kidding, I did it by the grace of God, hallelujah. Behold, there's laid up for me a treasure, the crown of righteousness. Chris, prayer, prayer regarding your own heart, prayer regarding your own heart to be soaked in the word of God so that the word of God pierces you into your mind, your heart, your soul, your will, your affections, your desires is the beginning and continuing core of your ministry, prayer and the word. Out of your innermost being shall flow something. What will it be? Now, let me just end by referencing John chapter 10. Psalm 119 is incredible. I love it. Man, it's a great, that's a great prayer. But you know what? You can, every once in a while, I, I, in our darker moments, in our conversations with people, in fact, we've, I had this conversation today with somebody. How do I know this is all real? It just seems so much in my head. It seems so much about, you know, I mean, I can think, is this just all come, happening inside my head? Am I conjuring up something here? Am I thinking certain kinds of thoughts to get certain kinds of ways? And one of the most incredible things about the gospel of Jesus Christ, people, and I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to the fact that all the beautiful things that we've just seen in Psalm 119 can become for us the question, where is that really happening? Is it all just in here? And then you turn to the Gospels when God the Son took on human flesh and entered into human history. He became a person and he still is. This is not just our thinking. This is established in the reality of a person named Jesus who changed history. Who died to rescue us from our sins. Is Psalm 119 not a prayer, a constant prayer? God, be my shepherd. Shepherd my soul. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Walk with me. Teach with me. Talk to me. Change me. That's what Psalm 119 says. Then flip over to John chapter 10, and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. We're not making this up. Hallelujah. You're being commissioned to do a ministry of the gospel that you're not making up, man. It's Jesus. He's for real. Listen to his voice. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.